ladies and gentlemen, from All Seasons Studio 306 in Midlothian, Virginia, it's The Undiluted Truth with Mike and Ben. Today's episode, The Uncomfortable Yet Appropriate. I told you so. Do not forget to like, subscribe, and share. Our podcast email is theundilutedtruth.podcast at gmail.com. Hey, where are those that are on their best behavior? Just stop acting and just be on your best behavior already. Come on. Did I really say that? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Undiluted Truth. My name is Ben. Let's welcome in our host, Mike. How are you doing this afternoon? I am doing fantastic now, Ben. Wonderful. Uh, a little yeah. uncomfortable. Oh, but uh, just a little yet uncomfortable. But yet, uh, it, that's appropriate. That's right. And you know what? Somebody has to be the guy to say very diplomatically, I told you so. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you so. Uh, I'm not going to tell you so today. Today's episode uh, is, this one's pretty awesome. And I, I can't emphasize enough the word appropriate in this. One of your favorites, I'm sure, and ours definitely here in Studio 306 is Dr. David Martin, attorney at law, mm. if you remember that. Oh, yeah. He is 100% awesome, and he is testifying, uh, I, I, well, I... They're at, they're at a, a another uh, co- <clears throat> excuse me another COVID summit All at right. the European Union Parliament, and that is exactly where he is, and he is he was there before, so this is so appropriate. And David Martin is so good about laying things out that are appropriate, they're current. This particular uh, testimony, I'm just going to say, needs to be heard by many, or or I should say all. I mean, I don't know that other than the ones that were there that particular day have this down. Yeah. But this is is so needed at, at this time. So, ladies and gentlemen, you mm. will enjoy it, and welcome to another episode of The Undiluted Truth with Mike and Ben, and we are glad to have all of you rock tumblers and truth seekers here. And before we begin, uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, we can be found on several other platforms, and I'm just going to name a few, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Podvine, Audible, Podbean, Spotify, uh, the, uh, anything else? Uh, not yet. Soon to be Rumble. Uh, where uh, you guys have heard of Audible? Uh, that's right. a, that's We're another on one. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, uh, there's one uh, that we hope to be on soon because the video is coming. It's just around the corner. Believe it or not. And it is uh, what uh, did Patreon is one that yeah one it seems that a lot of folks are using that uh, these days and seems to be a a nice platform. But Brighteon might be our hosting site 
so, but we'll keep you posted on the video aspect of things. But on those others, uh, take a look. Uh, whatever you feel like subs- subscribing to, to, to that will kick in the best for you, the best reception and all that good stuff, uh, just go there. So uh, I don't know. I meant to ask you the other day, Ben. Uh, I haven't looked at analytics in a long time, so I don't know uh, I, how, how many countries we are actively being downloaded in. I I, I looked... Um... Like overall, our cumulative is right at fifty now. We were just under that before, so okay. we're we're right at fifty, um, at least okay. from what we can see. Right, right. Uh, so that's cumulative. Okay. But usually, on any given episode, there's at least about eight to ten different countries that I've downloaded. Ah, so very good. Yeah. And we are more than happy to be getting uh, the undiluted truth out to everyone injecting them with the undiluted truth, by the way. So anyway, uh, we hope you enjoy this episode because I'm excited. Uh, I have seen all of this, I think, twice. And I could. this is like a great movie that I could keep watching again. And I guarantee you, uh, guys and gals, you will see what my sentiment is and understand it once we get going here. So... Before any further delay, let's go ahead with Dr. David Martin here in the European Union Parliament. All right. Sounds good. All right. It is a it is a particularly interesting location for me to be sitting today, given that over a decade ago, I sat in this very chair right here in the European Union Parliament. And at that time, I warned the world of what was coming. Uh, During that conversation that was hosted at the time by the Green and EFA and a number of the other parties of the European Union's uh, various representations, we were having a conversation on whether Europe should adopt the United States policy of allowing for the patents on biologically derived materials. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity had dire consequences. Mm. Tragically, I sit here today um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. Mm. Mm. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually, once again, come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. So I'm actually quite grateful for this opportunity. I thank the members of parliament for hosting this. I thank all of the translators who I apologize in advance. I will use terminology that is probably very difficult to translate, (laughs) so my apologies. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that many of you are aware of my involvement with this uh, 
in large part due to the amazing work of my wonderful wife, Kim Martin, who encouraged me at the very early days of this pandemic to get on front of the camera and talk about all the information that I had been sharing among very small groups around the world. And it was in fact her encouragement that put me in a place where many of you have heard what I have to say. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised <laughs> on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I, I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. But I can also confidently say that I'd rather stand among the people with whom I'm standing today than any of the folks that were part of that previous world. So this is a much better place to be. Amen. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid 1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. And we'll try to advance the slides here with one of these things. Oh, there we go. And only they can see the slides, ladies and gentlemen. Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. All right, I'm going to pause right there. Hmm. You heard that right. 1965. Right. The coronavirus, yes, ladies and gentlemen, the novel coronavirus, some would say, doesn't sound so novel now. And, and this isn't just his perspective or his look at that this is document all these things are documented right so in 1965 the coronavirus was isolated and what that means he will explain i don't, i, I want to let david uh, do all of the expl explaining here but yeah. that's critical the right. fact that this virus was able to be isolated so yeah and i believe did he not say that it was isolated as a common common flu Yes, basically. It, yeah, the first time that it was, it was as a common cold. Common cold, yes, right. right. That's okay. exactly right. So, 1965. There you go. There's somewhat of a, a beginning for us in this journey that we're getting ready to take here. Here we go. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly, that was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966, the very first COV 
coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date, 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Mm. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we as a human civilization when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That's an excellent question. Agreed. And I think we need to, you know, this is all, again, there to be read by the American people and, and those in power and, and so forth. And why does it take one gentleman? And, you know, I, I'll say this at, at the outset here with, with this here. I've not heard any of what is being said by Dr. David Martin other than by him. Now, Judy Mikevitz gets close in some areas, but not in its entirety. But right. this is this is amazing to me. And you just think about the power of persuasion or the power of deception, the power of media, and the power of, of uh, the written word in, in any kind of documentation when it comes to uh, newspaper outlets or, or any of these things. Right that they would have the world believe that this was all new. This was all no, uh, a, a novel, never-to-be-seen-before virus. Right. And they were, right. and, and they were inoculating people with, with this in 1967. Amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah. It is amazing. So... Uh, that that needed a moment just to resonate with folks. So, but we'll continue. Well, uh, well, I mean, not not to even bring up. I mean, Corona. I mean, SARS. This is quote SARS CoV two. Mm-hmm. So and SARS CoV one, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, 2008 ish. Yeah, right. So, it, right in that. Yes, somewhere in there. And and it, it, David does a very good job of. Dating these things as yeah. we go through. So, so I mean, yeah. even even there, it's not novel. That was fairly recent. Absol- there, absolutely. So like, yeah. yeah, no question about it. All right, here we go. That conversation wasn't had. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s, and in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, 
By the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as a infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990. Operation Warp Speed? I'm sorry. Where? <laughs> yeah, mm. and, and, and you might say a patent for a, for a vaccine? They filed yeah. for a wow. patent for a vaccine on a virus that was made chimera. And chimera, uh, for those, and David, again, we'll, we'll get through it, but th that's sort of a... Uh, a way that you can make a code, and when you're talking about getting these things into pigs, and you might as well include gain of function, that term that most of us have heard. So this right. is all under that same umbrella of toying with Mother Nature and creating things. And here we go. When I hear Pfizer uh, vaccine. Uh -huh. uh, 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 patent on these things, I think, aha, somebody out there saw the money in all of this. Had nothing yep. to do with health. So here we go. Where's the warp and the speed? <laughs> yeah. Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. Of course not. But oh yes, mm. they did. Mm. And in 1990 they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. Don't miss that. This is all documented. All the way back to 1990, through, throughout to 2018, multiple, and I mean a large number, I don't know how many thousands of studies that were done, but none of them showed any efficacy with this vaccine. And it's all documented by them. That's what he's saying. It's their paperwork that brought it out. It's their, their studies, yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is all proved. So 
there again, how in God's green earth did we as a citizenry here in this country all of a sudden believe the, the I don't know, per, proverbial crap? How, how did we believe what they were trying to sell us? I, I, it, it, Most of you us know, just didn't know. I obviously, mean, I, obviously. Didn't, I didn't know some of this, but I mean, yeah, I've been around the medical community. I think I've mentioned before, both mm-hmm. of my parents were in the medical field. So the masking thing immediately flagged my brain way back, you know. Yeah. And then we found out early on, to throw another thing in here that they had documentation on, is the masking. Yeah. There's documentation about that from OSHA for, for back to the 70s, like late 70s, right? Right. So, I mean... There you go again. There's document stuff that these certain things that you're doing right now aren't going to do anything. Yeah, I was so, I was sort of asking a rhetorical question yeah, because sorry, but. <laughs> no, but that's okay. But because as a citizenry or as the the citizens of the country, how would you know? Well, it's usually through media. It's usually through news right. reports. It's yeah, usually exactly, through people exactly. that have our best interest at heart. But apparently that wasn't happening. But you can't rely on that, yeah. You can. Right. Well, we found that out really sort of the hard way, didn't we? Well, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, throw in a, a similar thing. I mean, look look at uh, Doctor Peter, uh, not Peter, Pierre Corey, uh, Paul Merrick. Oh, Paul Merrick. Yes. I mean, everything yeah. he learned, and then there's Pierre mm-hmm. Corey who said, you know, I started looking at the journals and this, this right. stuff coming from his own stuff. He can't trust. Right. So you know. So who would have known, you know? But to, I mean, unless you dig. Yeah. And to yeah. know, and, and that's why I think this man, David Martin, is the one to be delivering this information because he tried to warn these people way back when. Yeah. He yeah. tried to warn them, and then that's why he, he began with the uncomfortable, I told you so. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So, but yeah, let's let's. This is just so impressive, and the information is really priceless here. And there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred, mm. and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Barrick in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. Wow. And that science has never been disputed. Mm. But then we had an interesting development in 2002. And this date is most important. Because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work 
patented at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. <gasps> Dave, are you <laughs> suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory? In the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. <laughs> we engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. Mm. Wow. That, that's right on the bullseye. I mean, that hits you. If, you. if that does not stop you in your tracks, you know, yeah. the patent, the manufacturing in the lab, of a virus and to make my, I mean, the, the funding that they, you know, this was all funded, government funded. Yeah. Uh, and, and we all thought that this was, I mean, you know, we, you know, there was a time when we started hearing about, you know, we started hearing about SARS, we started hearing about H1N1, the swine right. flu, the, yep. all of these things. Yep. Well, Unfortunately, they were all manufactured in a lab, and their own documentation is showing us just this, basically. And they're manufacturing, not just manufacturing, but they're applying for patents on this stuff. And when you, when you have a patent mm -hmm. on a virus... When anybody wants to question it or look at it or anything to do with it, they can put their with their hands up and, and say, "That's a trade you, secret. You, you don't have the authority. We've got a patent on that. You can't look at anything to do with this." And here I go again. We have been sort of duped and kept in the dark, proverbial. Uh, yeah. And my goodness. This was all happening, I, I think, sort of in the right in the in the open eyesight of, of those who should have been shouting from the rooftops, and unfortunately, there was a, there was but a but a few, and and we know some of them, but uh, uh, Dr. David Martin is one of them. So we're, we're getting short on time, but we need to get through this. This is that powerful, so we're not going to cut this one short. Here we mm. go. In 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. But mm. let's get something very clear. 
when the CDC in April of 2003 filed the patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Mm. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the Patent Office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003. 20 so, yeah. So 20 years ago, mm-hmm. David yep. Martin w- was warning them about most of this here. I mean... That's the sort of I told you so, but good for him of reminding. And and some of these folks were there when that happened. Hmm. Years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent. It's official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? (laughs) Yes. Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. Mm. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. Mm. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? Mm. A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. Mm. And what, you might ask, 
Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was WIV1. Mm. Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1. Mm. Poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, mm. in that phrase, the word release. Does that sound like leak? Does that <laughs> sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market? and hung out and had sex, and, and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release mm. of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used, and four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. There you have it. Wowzers. It didn't exist. They've had four patents on it. And they, they, they labeled it, and the words were being used. And I think I've seen some of this, you know, some of the clips on this, but accidentally or intentionally right released i i mean that's that's sci-fi-ish that's james bondish you know mm -hmm. i mean when you this you know and, and i somehow sometimes and listening to this information which i know 100% is true because he backs everything up with their documents and i sit here listen to this stuff and i go is this real? I got to pinch myself. It, am I in some weird? Uh, uh, ben, are we in the twilight zone? I Ooh, mean, maybe. I mean, it really sort of feels like that. Like you know, does it feel like it? People say, does this feel like, uh, like not a science or not health? Yeah. Well, it, yeah. The reason is because it's not. It's it's a bioweapon. But just now, it, it's 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 as if. This thing's gaining so much speed and, and, and so much intensity that they just come right out and say it. This, this yeah. uh, something, uh, Something's going to be released uh, either intentionally or not or on purpose. Let's just face it. That's what it said. That we need to be aware of. And now you see what's happening you know, behind the scenes is, okay, patent, patent, patent. We need to patent this thing so people will not see right. what we're doing with this stuff. And I guarantee you, along with that, there was so much, because he, he used the word billions with a B, mm -hmm. of money was made off of this. Uh, this is big time. What did the, the term Pierre Corey use? A criminal syndicate. This is, this yeah. is a criminal syndicate of the highest level and who knows how deep and wide it is. You talk people were talking about a few years ago about cleaning, you know, cleaning the swamp or draining the swamp. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think people realize how big and wide and deep this so-called swamp is, you know. And I think even some of the ones that were saying it are are involved in the swamp. But yeah, well, I mean, but this is we're talking about human life. Yeah, this is is insane. Yeah, well, I mean, to to put that in perspective, the draining the swamp. I mean, I, I just had the thought come to mind. It's similar to like uh, on a river. You know, if you if if the river's full, you know the water's fairly calm. If the river's at you know a good level, river's fairly calm, even if there are rocks underneath. But as you start to minimize the water level, rocks start to appear, and it gets more turbulent because there's there's more um, turmoil going over the rocks because they're now in the way of the water. Yes. Yes, and especially so, if you're looking to travel that right vein of, of transportation or access. Yeah. So I mean the the lower you quote drain the water out of the swamp, the mm. more swamp things uh, swamp creatures are the more going ag- to appear. The more agitation, you know, is going yeah. to take place. Yeah. Right. So but yeah, very, very mm. eye-opening here, and and you know this this information, ladies and gentlemen, is information that you don't want to forget. I would suggest you go back because it, this is really heavy, and it's a lot in it. And and most people, if you if you just told them just straight out, you know, we've known about coronavirus since the '60s. They would look at look at you like you had three or four heads. They think, oh, you know, what is this guy on? But right, right. Little do most people know this is the absolute truth, and that's why we are here. Let's yeah. Go, let's continue. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. Wow. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody do it. Let's let's read this, because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold, it is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds yeah. I would I would just say because anytime he reads that I don't think he does in in this particular uh, setting but that statement was made by Peter Daszak uh, the veterinarian who was heavily involved in this so I'll say that and then uh, Doctor Martin will ask a question and I think he's going to speak to the uh, basically the context of does this sound like public health sounds like mm. public health. <laughs> 
sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. And it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. Mm -hmm. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. Mm. We didn't have independent science. We had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus. Not once. Not once. Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain-of-function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. And believe me, he deserved that round of applause and, and probably then, you know, more. I don't know. Uh, you, you don't see anybody else other than him in this video. And by the way, I'm going to take a quick minute to mention uh, this video. We, we tapped into it through excuse me, the grassroots army. So uh, make sure you go there and you can pick this this video up. I would save it and 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 guard it with your life because I, it's probably not long before it's taken down away or, or, or tried to be altered in some way or say that it was, mm. oh, it's been looked at by the fake news police or the truth detectors oh, yeah. and it's actually fake news. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is as true as it gets, and it's right in your face. Uh, and, you know, God bless David Martin. And, you know, he uses no notes. He's got very, he's got just a little bit there. I mean, you can tell he's, when he's delivering, he's, he's looking straight at the camera. And he once said that, I, he said, people ask me, you don't have, David, you don't have, you cover a lot of material and you don't have any notes? He goes, I don't need notes. And you know why? He says, because I lived it. Yeah. I experienced yeah. all of this. I've been on this for so long and watched it and followed it and been, you know, step by step by step. He, he remembers it all. Right, you know, it's kind of like uh, remembering a, you know, a year of school, or I don't know, your wedding day, or whatever, uh, football, yeah. baseball. I mean, I, what do I need notes for? It's it's so impressive, but he's a passionate guy, and you know, my hat 
is off. So David, from the undiluted truth here in Midlothian, Virginia, you keep doing what you're doing. We're going to keep praying for you and uh, passing this word out. And we thanks, you know, thank you so much for everything that you do. If you're out there and, and you happen to tap into this, you know, blessings from uh, Mike and Ben here yeah. in Studio 306 at the Undiluted Truth. Thanks so much. And with that being said, Ben, let's uh, let's close up with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, yeah, thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us and those around us, such as Dr. David Martin. Father, there was a lot of information that was put out here today, and we pray that your holy angels will go and del- and and be with those prior to this message uh, being shared. Uh, and we know that people will get it. They will share it with others. And uh, we just pray that it will find its way to the hearts and minds of those that need to hear it. And may all of those that are involved in getting messages like this out, uh, Father, may they be protected May they be covered in the the armor of God as they do and we do what we feel like is your work. And that's just uh, not just informing, but arming the world and humanity with the truth for decisions or critical decisions down the road are going to be asked to be made. And we need to be able to hear. You said we need to hear your voice. There's going to come a time that sorrow is going to hit this planet in a heavy, in a, in a big way. And we need to be able to hear your voice. So we ask all that are listening, be able to hear God's voice to be guided and directed in a way that we should go during that time. May you bless those in the families of folks like David Martin that are putting the truth out into various platforms that we do put up don't know uh, a lot about the grassroots, but uh, that same prayer for those people who worked hard to get this out. And uh, we just thank you again for this opportunity here on this platform. And before we close, we just ask, as always, may every intent of our thought thoughts be pure. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to join us again on The Undiluted Truth. And remember, rock tumblers, with all of your might, continue to diligently seek truth. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, from All Seasons Studio 306 in Midlothian, Virginia, it's The Undiluted Truth with Mike and Ben. Today's episode is The The Uncomfortable Yet Apropos I Told You So! I, 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 Ay, ay, ay.
Are we redoing <laughs> that one? I think we'll redo that one. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, so it was the uncomfortable, un- yet the uncomfortable, the uncomfortable yet appropriate. Yet appropriate. I don't understand what, I, what, what went on in my brain there. Humana, humana, humana. I got some words confused and mixed up in the brain. I was uncomfortable, but couldn't get it out. <laughs> hey, you know what? I meant to ask you, how's our banner looking, our poster? Uh, oh, have we done I anything? Even, no, I haven't even looked at that again. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. All right. Well, we're still rolling, so here we go once again. Uncomfortable, yet, yet. appropriate. Uncomfortable, uncomfortable yet why did that not come out? Comfortable. Yeah, uh, appropriate. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just that voice. We're, that at the mo- we're at the movie theater. Comfortable, but yet appropriate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, my. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs>